Hey, you awake? Welcome to the You Awake podcast. I'm Nalanda and I'm Kemma. We're two twenty-somethings having late-night chats about life, spirituality, and everything in between. Hello. Welcome back. Welcome back to the podcast. We haven't actually recorded in months. Many months. It feels like a year. It feels like ages. The last time we recorded was a catch up, and I was in Malaysia. I've actually gone to Melbourne and then come back to Malaysia. Mm. That's how much stuff has happened in between. And Nalanda spent lots of months in Thailand. Yeah, now I'm back in Australia. It's so good to be back. Let's talk. Yeah, what's been going on for you? So just teaching, and also just more involved in things that I want to do. Going to the temple. I'm meditating a lot more. Yeah, just doing. Coming back to the podcast, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. We've actually been hanging out more in person mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was in Melbourne anyway. And I mean, even me being here, like, we just talk all the time. Um, yeah, PhD's out of the way, you know? Dude, you know when you came back from Thailand, your skin was mm. glowing? Like, you look 10 years younger, and which is, like, your original form. But the PhD just took that away from me. You're just exhausted all the time, probably. Yeah. 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 Stress, no sleep, not yeah. eating, all that. Yeah. 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 It's really good to see. I think you were already living your life to the fullest, even doing the PhD, but now you're just like unstoppable. It's. Thank you. It's babe. very infectious. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah. And then we met Ajantan recently. I think that's been really mind blowing for me. <sighs> you know, that's a whole episode on its own. Yeah. And that's just a preface of what's to come. Lots have been happening in Melbourne. Lumpur Liam came, Ajantan came. We've had a really busy few months, but very, very uplifting. And it's been a good time for Dhamma. Excellent time for Dhamma. When the Arahants come to Melbourne, they're not very swamped and overwhelmed like the, when they're in Thailand. And then they have like all these people lined up to talk to them and stuff I feel like mm. there's a lot more space here mm. because it's less people yeah 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 so it's really accessible and you can sit up front and you can ask questions and everything's translated for example so it's really yeah. good mm. yeah no seeing all the Krubajans come and they're all Thai and everything needs to be translated like we were just talking about this before we hit record I've been learning Thai and I started learning Thai like I think a few years ago but I never had the motivation until like now. It, it feels different. And I think I've been waiting for this motivation to kick in. And now it's just like, I need to be able to chat with Ajahn Tan when he's in Melbourne. I can't, I can't do this translation thing. So Kema is like fully invested now. She has a teacher and everything, right? Yeah, I'm bugging Nalanda every day. Like, hey, why do you use this and not this? Like This word and not that word. Mm. It's been really fun. That's been keeping me busy. Yeah. Yeah. But apart from that, you have also discovered a few new things, right? Through your experiences so far of your physical condition, mental condition, all of the above, and some strategies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, today's topic is being a friend to yourself or being a friend to myself, something like that. And I've been actually, this has been a focus in my practice for uh, the past few months at least. And I've been wanting to chat with 
Melinda about this for a long time because I feel like there's just so many insights. I feel like at any given point, there is like a theme in my practice. I don't know if it's the same for you. And for me, gentleness has been the theme in the past few years. I think that's, I'm always talking about that on the podcast, but I think I've really honed in on being a friend to myself, which Mm. is huge. It's been very groundbreaking for me, particularly because you know how when you have suffering, that's when you have the most insights. So there's been a lot of suffering. I feel like every time we get on the podcast, it's just, there's nothing has changed. I'm still suffering. I was talking to someone recently and a new friend, and I was just telling them about how life has been going. And they're like, your life sounds like a movie. Like just so much stuff has happened. And I'm like, thanks. I've always thought that. It feels very validating. Hmm. But yeah, in the past few months, I've, just to give everyone a summary, my ankle, which was doing quite well for the past few months, it flared up badly after I went back to Melbourne after like a month. So I had to fly home to Malaysia all of a sudden and try to deal with that. And at the same time, I'm going through a breakup after months of long distance. And I think... Those are the two main things. It's been like an emotional car crash. I'm back on crutches and I haven't been back on crutches in months. And I think I always feel super vulnerable when I have to use crutches. It's like overnight, like one day you're like out and about doing stuff, cooking for yourself, like just taking care of yourself. And then being back on crutches is like even getting a cup of water is a chore. And emotionally, it's very crippling. And so all of that all at once was really too much for me but I think we'll focus more on that in another episode but today I really wanted to talk about like being a friend to yourself yeah let's do that um I want to know how how you actually got there in the first place though because for a long time you were very strict with your practice right you were very sort of rigid and then through a lot of hardships but like what what got you there was it a book was it like just a one day recognition realization I think me and Dara, we've been focusing so much on gentleness in our practice ever since the pandemic. And before that, my practice was always like, yeah, I got all these goals. It's all about doing stuff. It's all about doing and effort and like more, more, more. But then Mm -hmm. I realized that I need to shift my focus to gentleness and not even like meta. I think the word meta for me is very loaded because you just get so used to it being Buddhist that you hear all the time that it almost means, oh yeah, yeah, loving kindness. Like it's just doesn't really mean much anymore but for Mm. me gentleness is more a feeling or like a a theme or like a an attitude towards everything Mm. Mm. and so I increasingly was bringing that into my practice and it was helping me progress in the way that I needed I think you always think of effort as something that's very intense and very powerful pushing through all of that but that's not actually the right kind of effort for me personally Mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. my tendency is to take things too seriously and to take things to an extreme anyway. So gentleness was a good focus. And I think in the past few months, I've experienced quite a lot of loneliness, just being not in not in school, not really working, being in a long-distance relationship where my partner was not in the same country as me. And there were also issues with emotional connection. I also felt like as you become an adult, as you grow older friends just start having their own lives or they have their own lives and it just gets busier and busier. Everybody just has their own 
partner, they start building a family, career, all of that. And if you're not prioritizing friendships or relationships as like your main thing, life can really get in the way. And so I think I felt really alone and I was increasingly feeling that, especially because I felt very left behind. And this is this has been the theme since quarter life crisis, right? Like episode five. Mm. I was feeling that and I think I was trying to deal with that. And so I, in around December, a lot of monks in the Ajahn Chah tradition kept coming through Malaysia to go to Thailand. And I would just ask each of them the question. So like I asked so many Ajahns, like Ajahn Karuniko is here, Ajahn Suchito is here, Ajahn Hasapanyo, our teacher is here. And I would just ask like, how do you deal with loneliness? I'm experiencing a lot of loneliness. It's very interesting because I think as I observe these Ajahns, they never give off that vibe that they're lacking. Mm-hmm. You know how humans, like lay people, you kind of, you need something to keep you going. Like you need your family or your partner or your children or like something. A purpose? But, mm-hmm. Like, yeah, some some form of like, almost like attachment. Or connection. Or, or connection or relationship. But mm-hmm. the Ajans, they always give me this quality of they're very self-sufficient mm-hmm. and they're very independent. Mm-hmm. And so Ajahn Kurniko's answer to me was, make new friends. You can always do that. And then I asked him, like, do you ever feel lonely? And it was like in a big hall, a big crowd, and everyone sort of laughed. And I think he he went like, no, I enjoy the seclusion, but it's an acquired taste. I think it's a great question, by the way. It's nothing to laugh at. It's a great question. I would have asked that. Yeah, I think it was just a context, like big hall. Ajahn, do you ever feel lonely? It's like, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I think in an Asian crowd, because this was in yeah. Malaysia, it's like, yeah. you know, it's a bit funny. But yeah, it was important for me to ask that. That was cool. And then Ajahn Suchito was here. He's just like, oh, he's just a legend, right? And I'm, I'm so glad I got to speak to him. I think I asked about loneliness. I forget the first part of his answer. Mm-hmm. But... It was something along the lines of being a friend to yourself. And then he kind of like looks at me a little mm. bit and he's like... You know that signal? That sign. Yeah, you know? And then he goes, but that can be really hard when you're critical of yourself. And I'm like, mm. oh, okay. He's just... He's, you know, laser laser beams. Laser beams, yeah. Yeah. He starts talking about how self being critical of yourself is like a form of madness. He's like... Wow. There's number one, who you really are. Mm-hmm. number two who you think you should be and number three a third self that is like wanting you to be more like number one and less like number two it is a form of madness wow okay yeah more like number two less like number one and so it's like it's just madness because suddenly there's like three of you is he talking about a delusion yeah i think it is because he's like you can develop this image of who you should be and that's like an image mm. that's not who you really are mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah And so it's like madness, right? If you just can be with who you really are, that's the end of it, right? I think just the way he said it, when he was like, it's like madness. And as he was talking, his face was all scrunched up. I think because he really knows the suffering in that, it's like, why do that to yourself? Hmm. I think it was really nice speaking to those Ajans. And when I got back to Melbourne, I spoke to Ajahn Hasapanyo as well about it. And I wanted to share the conversation with him, with you guys, because I found that so insightful. Yeah, do it, yeah. Something that helps me practice this is I changed the term. You know, you always hear about self-love. And I think for so many years, I'm like, yeah, yeah, self-love, you know, it's so important. And then 
the term has kind of been butchered like mad because it's in the mainstream media and everything and there's like this movement happening yeah the movement of like go go take yoga classes yeah self-love as in like eat pray love style like go go do your go bubble baths yeah, go for a walk you deserve the best for what it is. Yeah, that's it's like it's like treat yourself. Like it's mm. it's very it's like stuff that you do, which I tried to do that stuff, but I feel like it's very superficial. Or it, at least it's temporary. Whatever that fixes, it fixes a temporary down emotion. Like if if I feel like I'm in a rut, maybe going for a walk is a good idea. But then I come back home and I feel like crap again. I think I've learned that it's really about the mindset that you go into it with and mm-hmm. the intention. Mm-hmm. You can do those things if you have the right intention and they'll be really helpful and skillful. But if those are the things that you're doing, but the attitude that you have towards yourself is still not one of love. You're not fixing the actual problem yet. Yeah. A term that has helped me is self-empathy mm-hmm. instead mm-hmm. of self-love, which is just, you know, it's just words, but it helps me because it, it feels like, can I have empathy to myself? And when I do that, what happens is like, it's almost like there's two of me. There's the me that's really struggling and suffering Mm -hmm. who needs a friend. And then there's the other me that is a friend to me. Mm -hmm. It's like there's two of me. And when I do that, it works. I don't know. It just really helps me. And I start being able to like encourage myself like a friend would be there for myself, like a friend would comfort myself. And I think this is something I uncovered in therapy because I'm someone who like tends to give a lot in my friendships, but I also feel lonely. So it's very strange, right? Like you're able to give so much to others. How are you able to do that but still feel lonely? So I realized like I'm not giving to myself. Is, I think isn't the, the 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 phrase of this is like you can't give with an empty cup? As yeah, that's right. Yeah, so maybe. Maybe you need to fill yourself first with whatever that's missing before you give to others. So I'm like pouring into others' cups to, to the point where they're overflowing. Mm, and you, you feel empty. Mine is empty, yeah. Mm. So I think that was quite a big discovery because I think looking at the dynamics of my relationships, like both romantic and like platonic, I think that was something that we were noticing. And so shifting the focus inward, right? Because... There is something lacking here. I feel like I'm a good friend. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm a pretty good yeah. friend to people. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So, hey, how about I try to do that for myself, right? And I've mm-hmm. never thought of it like that. I think when when I think of self-love, it's like, oh, yeah, let me, let me do this thing to treat myself. But you never sort of like... I think I started adopting the attitude of, let me do this for myself like a friend would. If I'm having a really shit day, a friend would take me out, go for a walk. A friend would take me out, do this. A friend would comfort me, give me a hug. Like I started being like that with myself. And that also allowed me to notice the way that I talk to myself. And you know, you always hear, oh yeah, you know, watch the way that you talk to yourself. I was like, I don't really understand, right? Because I'm not saying to myself, you're an idiot or whatever. I mean, you do have those moments where you are self-critical. But I think as I started really adopting this practice, I realized that it's the voice in my head, how I make sense of things, how I sort of like the commentary that I make on things. Mm -hmm. For example, an experience that I had was I recently went to Singapore to see Ajahn Sumedho because he was there conducting a retreat. 
and I didn't participate in the retreat because I have a lot of issues around retreats and I prefer to just see him and attend his talk. I was given special permission to attend a talk on a separate day that was not open to the public. And as I was sitting there, this talk was part of the retreat. The voice in my head was like, you should have gone for the retreat. You should have signed up for the retreat. Like if I don't take a close look, it doesn't seem like I'm berating myself. It's mm. just this nag- nagging voice, right? Because you regret it? You regret it? Yeah, I regret it. It was like, oh, I should have done this, right? Because the talk was so good, you thought. This was so good. I want to be here. Like, it was that feeling of FOMO. So then, because in the talk, Ajahn Sumedho was talking about conscious awareness, suddenly I became conscious of that voice. And it's like, whoa, what am I doing? This is actually very uncomfortable, being with this. Being with the voice, you mean, yeah. Being with the voice or being told by the voice that I should be doing this. Like, there's like anxiety there, right? Yes. And it's like, that's not very pleasant to be with. Like, if a friend was saying that stuff to me, I would feel so stressed out being mm. with this friend. But I am with myself. This is the voice that I'm with. This is the friend, so-called friend that I'm with. And it's not very pleasant. So I think as I started being more mindful, taking on this practice, like I started noticing this more and more, how I would quote-unquote talk to myself or the, just the voice in my head the kind of thing that would agitate it mm. and I realized like a friend would never say all this stuff like after the talk right I think I, I said out loud to a few people I was like oh I wish I stayed for the retreat they were like it's okay it's good enough like that's what a friend would say to you right like mm. a friend would just be encouraging and gentle and so this has been an ongoing, like, gradual new practice for me. To reframe your thoughts and thinking around yourself. Yeah, yeah. Reframe. Does meditation help with that? So to, to, to stop those thoughts, those critical, self-critical thoughts? In your experience of this practice, have you sat down and, like, not try to stop those thoughts, but using meditation as a, a way of just being present? I don't think my practice is extensive enough for okay. me to know how to deal with those thoughts. Just yet. Yeah. Y- you no, just, yet. just yet? Because mm-hmm. in meditation, I kind of just focus on the object. I just return to the object, right? Yeah, but those thoughts do come up, though, don't they? For, yeah. for me, it does. But I feel like I haven't um, used like insight or, or whatever in meditation to try to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So it's more like on a daily basis how I'm dealing with them. And I think even just catching, because there's agitation in the body, obviously. And then even just feeling that, being mindful of that. And then I can let it go like immediately when I realize, whoa, I'm, a friend would never say this to me. Like, we don't have to do that. Let's, let's return to gentleness and friendliness to ourself. Mm-hmm. And then that just helps me like snap out of it. Yeah, and Ajahn Sumedho did say that if you found a method that works, use it as a tool. Yeah. And use it consistently. Um, yeah. I've found that I've been quite independent my entire life as a single child. So I haven't really found this issue of like not caring for myself because you have to care for yourself. There's no, no one really there apart from parents. Mm. Sometimes parents are just too busy as well. So it's either friends or friends are not there, parents are not there then it's you, right? Mm. But um, there are times when I feel like I've forgotten to, forgotten to, literally forgotten to do things for myself. And then I had this strategy of like, it was very business. It was very strange. But 
I imagined, I think very similar to how you imagine you yourself as a friend, creating the scenario of you being a friend to yourself. I just had a different set of words, but I had the word client. Oh, <laughs> strange. I think I told you this before, but it was like, what would I do for my client? If my mother <laughs> was my client, what does she need? It wasn't like uh... what she wants. What does she need right now? Almost yeah. like a coach and there's a boxer in the ring. The boxer okay. is going to fall. What does he need right now? He needs water. Go get him water. He needs encouragement. Go give him some encouragement. Yeah. He needs a massage. Massage his arms and legs. <laughs> like he needs it. Yeah. And so that's what that's like the mindset that I had to tell myself. What does Nalanda need right now? Okay. Now go ahead and just do it. Mm. serve it to this client because that's mm. my job my job is to serve mm. the client mm. so i was serving the land and the land I really appreciated and then i'm back to just the task that i'm on hand doing but yeah whatever the, the skill yeah. that you need to develop yeah do it and whatever tools you need to get you there yeah do it but i i have it i have um thought that these these thoughts though are like glitches of the mind Sometimes these thoughts of like the nagging and stuff, mm. they come up from a place of guilt, from emotion, from from memory, from past experiences, and they're just sort of glitches that like come up and bash against you. But then, yeah, you have to be a little bit um, wise about what to do with them, which is something that I'm still working on as well. I like both your analogies. And I think with the client one, it's like it's very strong. Very- yeah, it sounds very strong. Because I'm hired here to give you the best experience. What yeah. do, what does she need right now? And there's no no, there's no there's no like, oh I can do it later. There's, no, she needs it right now. Mm, mm, to mm, do this job. Oh, I so love that. On the spot, do it kind of thing. It forces yeah. me to do it. Yeah, it's like you're servicing yourself. Yeah, correct. I also love the analogy of the glitches because it is like that, right? Like it's like the defilement hijacks you and that's mm. a glitch. Like I have a friend, his name is Kanishka and he practices metta as his own, has, as his main practice. Even his meditation is metta. Mm. And for him, we were talking about precepts the other day and I was chatting to him and I was asking him like, hey, do you think this is like being a bit dodgy with the precepts? And he was like, well, look at even the way that you're talking to me about it. You seem agitated right so in your heart you kind of know because there is the agitation that this is not in line with the precepts so that's a deviation from the state of metta because metta is never agitated it's always calm it's always peaceful okay so it's like just being even being mindful of that agitation then you can tell yourself let's return to metta and then you just drop it like it's so simple mm. And I really love that view of the practice. It makes it very easy. Yeah, it makes it very simple and easy and gentle as well. And I think, you know, when I started reframing all of this, I realized like, oh my God, you cannot do this practice without metta. And I think it's so duh when you hear that, but I think like, this is not talked about enough in Theravada circles. I feel like the Theravada teachings, they can be quite dry and it's all about exerting being heedful, striving, being um, restrained, being all of that, very like all of that energy. But what's missing is when you actually see the Ajans, when you actually see the people who are practicing, they're full of metta, like stories of Ajahn Man, stories of the Arahants, full mm. of metta to the point where the devas are like, 
give us the meta, stay, stay here. And it's like, how can the two states exist at the same time? How can they be so full of meta, but also so hardcore? And it's like, well, that's like the foundation of the practice. And I think that's not talked about enough in, in Buddhism in general. And, you know, when you think of metta, like, I grew up with metta just being like, oh, yeah, it's a, just like a type of meditation that we do for 10 minutes before we go and, and do other stuff. It's like, may I be well and happy? May you be well and happy? But it's so, it's it's just, words. it's not just, it's just words. <laughs> what does it really mean to wish yourself? Actually, it's so true. Yeah. Like, what does it really mean, right? Like, it's actually the entire practice. Like, when you approach the entire practice from may I be well and happy, like, you just understand that this practice is going to liberate me from all suffering. If I take it to the end, it's the ultimate act of self-love. Mm-hmm. And, and, like, when you do that, it no longer becomes, like, oh, the Buddha told me to do this. And, like, I don't want to do it. Like, I just want to <laughs> do things my way. It's, like, whoa, like, I love myself so much. Like, let me try to take care of myself. And the Buddha knows how because he he had all this compassion. Like, he was completely selfless compassion. So he's showing the ultimate way to love yeah. yourself. This is something that I wanted to ask Ajahn Hasefan you about as well. But we didn't get the chance because everything was, you know, in preparation for Ajahn's, yeah. Ajahn Than was coming, a little bit busy. But I had mentioned to him that one of, his, one, one, one of the ten disciples of the Buddha, Subhuti, is like, the best at this, the best at, at Metta Karuna. Yeah, he, oh, I think he, told me he, about he was enlightened just based on this practice, just doing it. Um, was yeah. it you who told me it was non contention? Yeah, yeah, that's right. That was his practice, right? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm interested to look deeper into this, but also when you said. When you can see like Krupa Ajans or Arhants or monks being super intense and metta, I can see it in Ajan Ajan Than. Because mm. he's like so full of metta every single second and every pore of his you know body is like you can feel yeah. it. But also he's super intense. He's super dedicated. He's super strict. Yeah. With the with the five precepts. Like he's yeah. no joke in that. Like, yeah. Yeah. But it's because he has that much metta that yeah. he that he is strict. It's, it's ironic, right? It's almost like just being disciplined with taking your medicine. You know it's mm. you need to do this because you're taking care of yourself by doing this. Yeah. So you just do it. And when he scold, like, it's in his tone of voice that he's actually just full of metta. Those three people up in front. Yeah. Because he was scolding these ladies about the <laughs> five precepts. He was roasting these ladies. He was, they are really roasting them. But they just full of metta. Yeah. Embarrassing them. But just full of metta. Yeah, yeah. Real compassion as well. Yeah. Harsh slightly, a little bit with yeah. certain words, but dude, it was just full. Mm. It's, it's like a, a parent. Yeah. Just telling you that this, you know, it's for your own. Yeah, good. yeah. I think I could sort of vibe that, but this is why I need to learn Thai. But you can you can just tell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It goes beyond barriers of language, I think. Like you can tell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can tell. I had a conversation with Ajahn Hasapanyu about this. And yeah. I asked Ajahn, like, I had this insight about self-empathy, like being a friend to yourself. And then it feels like there's two of me. I think I asked him, like, how, how has he dealt with loneliness? Has he ever, like, experienced loneliness as a, in his practice? And he's like, he used to feel lonely 
until he, I can't remember his exact wording, but something like developed that practice of being a friend to yourself way more. He said that he used to have these very sudden, like out of character, almost like out of character moments with lay people or like the people around him where he might say something really harsh. And it's like to the point where people are like, whoa. Whoa. Mm -hmm. And he realized that's because he talks to himself that way. He can be very cruel with himself still, even though Mm. up to that point, he was still trying to be very restrained and kind to others. But he realized that was not complete because he still talked to himself in that way. And as long as he did, that would come out. And so he realized there was two of him, right? There's like the person that is taking the criticism and then there's the person that's criticizing and the person that's criticizing is very cruel. Mm. And so when you sort of realize that, it's like, no, you can't keep this up. I don't want to be this cruel, horrible person that's always just like on people's backs. And so I think he started this practice of being gentle and meta. And then he says like, at some point that you just become, it just becomes one and you're just always operating from this place of meta. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting that you have the same experience of seeing like Mm. two of you. And that sounds like a milestone to like look out for, right? When you, when it just becomes you. I was saying to Ajahn, like, Ajahn, I kind of have this, like, vibe, this inkling. Because all these Ajahns that have come through and have so much matter, I always feel like they're just self-sufficient. They're just independent. And it makes me feel like if you take this practice of metta all the way, it could get at the self-view and it could lead to almost like stream entry. And I was like, what do you think? And he was like, well, yeah, like, one of the qualities of a stream entry is independence. Mm. so it's like oh okay like this is very worth working on and cultivating so yeah i think that's been a lot of learning so being able to live with yourself and just emotionally be there for yourself without needing comfort needing friends you're just able to just yeah sufficiently be yourself with just whole wholeness right is that what he's what does independence mean I think emotionally not relying on others, like not, I think with Ajahn, right, it was the the being cruel to yourself, like what Ajahn Sushito says, like it's very hard to be with yourself when, when you're harsh with yourself. And I find that in myself, right? It's because I'm, I'm not actively being this friend to myself and giving myself all the things that I want from a friend, the kindness, the compassion, the empathy, and that's why I go seeking it out. That's why I'm lonely, right? Because I'm lacking mm-hmm. something and I'm seeking it out in other people. And I do this with romantic partners. Like I tend to like guys that are very gentle and kind and like full of love and empathy, like very yeah, warm. You use the word dependable. That's right. Very, yeah, people like that. And I mean, I believe that it's always a reflection of you and what mm-hmm. you're lacking. I've been like this for many years and so I think this is like a big I've gotten to the crux I think this is the crux the the root of where this comes from it's like, okay let's start doing that for ourselves so yeah I think I think I'm finding a balance right because you always hear like the Buddha saying be an island to your, onto yourself mm-hmm. and when you look at all these ajans they are islands right they really are. They're self-sufficient. Yeah, they're self-sufficient. They're independent. They're full of everything that they need. They're just com- they're complete, or they're on the path to right. being fully just complete. 
and they're not like oh I don't care about everybody else I can just no. be a hermit somewhere they're just able to function on their own without being needy or leechy yeah for example Ajahn Hasapanyo he's very economical with asking for help mm. I feel I feel like he always tries to do everything himself mm, he's very secure he's very yeah. secure I like that word secure like so I think a lot of these Ajans have that quality and then because of that they can be a refuge for others yes thing is though I feel like sometimes monks just in general have moments of mistakes and agitation and they can still stand their ground and be like okay you know I'm agitated today Mm. let's work on that Mm. and then like for example there was a time when he did talk about his own meditation practice and how some days when he does feel agitated something agitated him a conversation a person whoever it was he comes and uses metta um, self-compassion meditation and he says that it's impossible to for the mind to have both anger and metta at the same time so for any kind of anger to exist if you go straight into a metta practice with the meditation it cuts through the anger and so it can no longer be existing or coexisting together in your mind Mm. um so he uses that apparently as a strategy to cut through any kind of anger irritation frustration that he had during the day i mean he he went through a whole building project with these builders and stuff but he probably needed that (laughs) from time to time yeah yeah Mm. yeah i think i that, that's how I felt, right? When I realized, oh, I'm being really harsh with myself. Then that insight itself is like, okay, let's return to being a friend. Then you can't, I don't know, when you really generally come from that intention, like there's no space for that other stuff, the criticizing. Yeah. 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 That's what he was saying. Yeah. I think, you know, there is, there is a balance because it's very interesting, right? Because you see the Buddha's advice of like being an island to yourself. But then he also says like, good friends are the whole of the holy life like you do need friends yeah yeah which means that you're not actually kicking anybody out of your friendship circle you're not being Mm. alone Mm. it's just if if there are certain circumstances where your friends are gone there are no no one there for you you can be self-operational you're fine on your own and when you have friends great too and if you are self-sufficient and secure within yourself emotionally then you can go ahead and help people with this mm. brilliance of being you and like being confident and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and it's you're not like, lacking. Yeah. Yeah. It's like how the monks they're emotionally like super independent, but they still need the physical support from lay people. From the community, yeah. Yeah, you're never cut off. You exist in a community, you exist among human beings, and until you cross over to the other side you need friends right like Mm -hmm. and it's not about I think I'm trying to find that balance of before I was very emotionally dependent on friends now I'm trying to be more inward trying to be more self-sufficient but at times when my capacity is like nah I can't this is something I can't deal with on my own then yes I have to reach out the other day I was speaking to my friends Miao and Kaho they're like a couple and Kaho was saying like he brought up that Dhammapada verse I think 160 like Atahi, Atahi yeah, that I one. It. Yeah, like being an island onto yourself, right? And he said, 
this self is something that we still have to nurture until we let it go completely. It's like a boat, right? Until you cross over to, to the other side, you need to take care of this boat. You need to make sure it's a good boat that will get you to the other side. Then when you get there, you can let go of the boat. So it's like this self, this self brings you to the other side. Mm. And then you can let go of it when the time is sure. right. Just very interesting. Yeah. So this phrase, a lot of Thai people say it when when they have like just no choice to just no there's no other option to hold on to others or ask anybody for else. They just go, you know, the sort of shogunai, you know, in Japanese is like at the heat no nato in Thai, like, you know, you just have to depend on you, on your own shoulders and just walk and just do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's a very common phrase. I also have this like one last thing I want to mention and that is probably nothing that I can answer because I'm not qualified enough to but for people who are like super negative imagine like that just that's in their personality they're just so negative and they have this self-talk of being negative to the point where maybe they're experiencing mental illness yeah imagine how hard duh that must be x times x amount of times for them to like get themselves out of this self-talk rut yeah dude yeah that is that is so much harder i think so it's really brave it's systemic that kind of attitude or that kind of relationship with yourself it's a relationship with yourself right it is it is yeah and when it's that systemic i think because i've I've, i have that kind of personality i have those kinds of tendencies my dad the other day was like saying to me you're so negative but not in like a scolding way it's like this is not serving you stop stop Mm. this drop this Mm. it's like from love Mm. and it's like no you're right like i the self-talk tends to be very negative and a friend would never be like that to me a friend would be encouraging and positive and it's like not fake toxic positivity but like just enough for you to to make it through whatever you need to make through and a lot of the time in the past before i could even kind of even start adopting this practice i needed so much support from friends like I needed to be around people who are loving and gentle and encouraging and positive people like Dara, yourself, like Ajahn, mm-hmm. like who are always like like reminding me of like what I've done, the good that I've done, the effort that I've put in. Like and I think at first that's really uncomfortable because it's like, oh, you're kind of tooting your own horn. Like I think people always have that. But it's like, no, it's encouraging yourself. And like the other day I literally wrote this thing to myself of like you are this kind of person, like like all these positive things. Just being really honest with myself, mm. because I needed that encouragement. I needed that encouragement. I couldn't. I didn't. I couldn't get it from others. But let me give it to myself. Mm. And acknowledging that in yourself, it's an encouragement to okay. You're doing. You're doing okay. Let's keep going. Let's keep cultivating the good. Or like yeah. you've done really well so far. And I think. Over time, man, so many years to even start thinking like this. So I think when when we don't have that ability in the beginning, it's really important to be around people who who can teach us how to teach us that. that. Yeah. Yeah, like I wanted to sort of end with this example. Like I think I caught myself today or yesterday, because my mm-hmm. ankle's not doing well. And there's been a lot of, like, in my mind, anxiousness, like, just wanting it to get better, like, want to get back to uni, want, 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 like, just, why can't it, very compulsive and very, a lot of pressure. And I'm like, whoa, 
I'm doing it again. Yeah, you caught yourself. I'm putting pressure on myself. Like, I'm putting pressure on my ankle to, like, speed up its recovery. A friend would never do that to me. A friend would just be with you and care for you. Just love my ankle. Just love myself. Do all the things I need to do to take care of myself, no matter the outcome. That's it. And then Mm. I think I could start letting go. I mean, it still comes back. But if I approach it like that, it's like, okay, let me just do whatever is needed to take care of myself yeah yeah this is a great message for everybody as well just whatever your mental state is there are certain times where you need to rehack hack yourself reframe your thoughts reframe the relationship that you have you with yourself and whatever tools are there and it helps then please use it yeah yeah thank you so much for sharing that it's really really helpful i think for a lot of people especially the negative the negative self-talk yeah Um, yeah it's it's a universal experience trust me i think so Mm. yeah i was saying to kaho the other day i don't think a lot of people know that metta is the foundation of this practice and and without it it's just it seems incomplete but yeah anyway yeah it's really important i i don't think a lot of people do talk about it you're right you're right it's not it's not enough talk of them or maybe there is enough talk of metta, but it's just not framed in in the way that we're talking about it. As in the everyday, everyday strategies. Yeah. Mm, putting it yeah. into practice every single day. Yeah. I hope you guys um, benefited from this. I certainly have. Share your thoughts on our Instagram page at youawake underscore podcast and uh, whatever strategies that you have for all that self-talk and stuff. Please share. Please share because the more that we have, the more our our practice can grow and improve. I'll see you guys in the next episode. Thank you very much. Thanks for being here. Bye. Thanks. Bye.